Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement. Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, Brad Kearns. Welcome, listeners. I'm back with one of our favorite recurring guests, Dr. Kate Shanahan. Thanks for coming on, Kate. Thanks for having me, Brad. So we have some interesting questions lined up. Some of them are going to be rapid fire, quick, you know, yes or no, asking the doctor for permission to eat this or that. Um, But I wanted to start out with uh, a a more lengthy discussion of that amazing uh, story that we related in the Rob Hogan podcast, where you commented briefly right in the middle of the show uh, and said that we should talk further about this because um, it's it's such an amazing phenomenon. And if you didn't listen to the show, um, go back and listen. It's great. But what we were talking about was how Rob, this uh, elite professional athlete, he's the world's number one speed golfer. So he's a, a very accomplished long distance runner as well as a professional golfer. He was training and doing his longest run, a 17-mile run over in Ireland, without taking any additional hydration or calories for the entire event. And he said he had this intense vision of a Fanta orange soda nearing the end, indicating that he was running low on blood glucose and starting to bonk and, and causing a severe decline in performance. But what happened was, instead of sitting on the side of the road like a a uh, respectable person, he kept pushing on to finish this run, and he says that as a consequence, the vision of the orange soda vanished, and furthermore, his cravings for sugar f- forevermore in the future vanished. He no longer wanted to consume sugar in his in his diet. So we're speculating that he actually did some rewiring of the appetite hormones, the appetite center in his brain. And, and I want to get your, uh, your thoughts on possibly what could have happened at a hormonal and a biochemical level there. Sure. You know, our, it's a great question because our cravings don't come from nowhere. They do come directly from our past learning experiences, which mediate our appetites and con- that controls the release of hormones. And then, of course, our appetite... Um, when it's stimulated again, will just trigger that memory. So there's a hormone called ghrelin that's released by the stomach and by the brain. And it's a very fast acting hormone and it's produced, like it has a short half-life. So like it can have quick effects and then it can go away fairly, you know, abruptly. And so when I heard that story, what I thought was that, you know, maybe his, he was truly hungry. Maybe uh, his brain was, really not getting enough energy at that point in time. And so it just went straight for the idea of, well, I need an infusion of sugar stat here. And so the the ghrelin um, hormone, ghrelin is called, uh, I don't actually know, I'm sorry, I don't know why it's called ghrelin, but the way we remember what it does is ghrelin makes your stomach growlin, ghrelin and growlin. And and that is responsible for the munchies when you're smoking 
you know, weed, cannabis, I'm supposed to say as a doctor. Uh, <laughs> so, so if this um, ghrelin is stimulated by, you know, THC, the active compound in weed, um, then it's very possible that there's some crossover so that if ghrelin is circulating around in your brain, it can also stimulate the areas of your brain that help you visualize or imagine or desire things. And so that's basically what cannabis does when it, you know, gives you this, these THC induced, uh, some people say they have very strong visions and, um, you know, funny ideas in their head and very specific, um, concrete images and new ideas. So, so possibly it it makes sense to me that ghrelin released, uh, into by his, by his hung, empty stomach, hungry brain, lots of ghrelin specific image for the memory of, well, Fanta's got lots of sugar. Give me that thing. And then because he was, you know, very fat adapted, uh, but perhaps not fully keto adapted, um, that he was able to continue exercising. So he didn't completely bonk, right? He was almost maybe about to bonk or somebody who was, uh, would not have been as fat adapted, would have bonked and their body would have pooped out. So bonking is where your, your body's just completely out of glucose. And, um, if you can't find an alternative fuel in the form of fat or ketones, then that's it. You're done. Your brain won't work or whatever the energy, whatever the organ is that's not getting energy is not going to work properly. So instead though, of completely bonking, what happened was his body, um, just resourcefully found a way to find, uh, to get other fuel, hopefully not from breakdown of proteins, hopefully from, you know, ketones and fat that the brain decided, okay, well, look, there's this, these ketones flying around. Maybe I'll use them instead. And then as soon as that happened, the need for the Fanta and the soda went away completely. And, and that's where cravings come from in the first place, you know? So exercise in my experience is one of the most powerful, um, ways to alter a person's appetite. You know, if you, if you're hungry from exercising and you start eating things that, you know, are in, in, you know, you come home and you're like, what's in the fridge. And you've had that feeling of like, well, I, I could just eat anything in here. That's because exercise is now, you are at in this state where your appetites are ready to be rewired by the hormones that exercise has created. And so that's what happened. And the image of the Fanta um, in uh, the triathletes, it, was he doing a triathlon or a marathon? So no, he was doing a 17 mile run, Kate, on no added calories or even hydration, which is so unheard of for an experienced endurance athlete, triathlete, marathon are always packing their numerous uh, energy gels. And so, you know, trying like heck to prevent this dreaded state of bonking. And if you don't know what that is or have never experienced it, it's absolutely brutal because one moment you're running along, holding on to your pace and doing well. And then in a matter of, in a matter of moments, you're sitting on the curb wondering uh, which direction is the finish line and, and which is backwards. And you're just completely, you completely shut down in your brain and have no more desire nor capability of, of taking another step. So I, I think that Rob is such a, a intense and driven athlete that he got out to that point, the bonking point, and somehow pushed through it 
and then consequently rewired his brain and his appetite center. So yeah, I guess I, I think that makes perfect sense. And, and, you know, you could imagine that it would be mediated by a lot of hormones, but certainly ghrelin, I believe would have played a key role because it is one of the very powerful, um, appetite, uh, modifying hormones that would be kicked in in that situation. And, um, and again, because of the connection with the, the THC use and the, you know, the, the way it makes you, there, there's that overlap there. So certainly I think uh, that could be a, a key reason, but the, this, the, the, the way I, you know, all of us can possibly, this is just another, another lesson in how powerfully the, uh, exercise can help rewire your cravings. So, you know, the, the worst thing to do after exercise basically is to reward yourself with something you would want to eat anyway, like, you know, um, a giant, uh, Starbucks, uh, muffin or, you know, a, a something that some, some kind of sweet treat does, that would be the worst thing to do because you're totally losing the advantage of the ability of exercise to help rewire your appetite in a healthy way and reduce your cravings in the future, just as it did to Rob. So just to be clear, um, you can uh, compromise your health by smoking marijuana and getting these ghrelin stimulation, or you're just making that comparison, but they're unrelated. Or if you go out there and run 17 miles with no fuel, you can you can get into this, I guess you'd say, uh, accelerated state of uh, ghrelin hormone function and, and consequently cause these um, these appetite cravings. Absolutely. It reminds me a lot of the sort of altered states that a lot of um, uh, <clears throat> Native Americans, you know, actually do enter into or I mean, with their traditional rituals where they, they use mind altering psychoactive substances or, or just simply the process of uh, deprivation of food and water. Um, there is a sweat lodge uh kind of tradition in the Southwest that um, Native Americans came up with and they were practicing for um, a long, long time. And it's a, uh, it's a, like this hot house, basically this little tiny hot house where they've, um, they overheat you and you are in there in the dark with a couple other people for four days, no food, no water. And you have all kinds of amazing insights into, you know, how the universe was put together and all this sort of stuff. It's a quite, a, it's a mind, it's about a mind altering experience. So when you're depriving your brain of energy in you know, any circumstances, you're going to have these intense experiences that can change you forever. As a lot of people, um, still go to the Southwest and do these, sweat lodges with uh in the traditional fashion and they say how you know they really did change it was such an experience it was like a life-altering experience for people so the, i guess this is part of how that happens you do you can your brain is plastic and you can change the way it works if you try hard enough uh so for a uh- a, a devoted endurance athlete who's maybe interested in this um, new movement for uh, ketogenic endurance training and so forth, um, it's, it's a possible way to accelerate progress, although it can be dangerous and we, we should say don't try this stuff at home, running 17 miles with no, no sugar, no water. But um, when, you're, when you're pushing the limits of endurance and wanting to make progress, um, you could have some breakthrough experiences, you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it sounds like it, and uh, yeah, absolutely true. We don't want to do this like the first try out of the gate. You, know, you have to be in pretty good shape, um, and I'm pretty sure uh, that the the sweat lodges they have you sign all kinds of waivers about your heart health and medications, and 
stuff like that. So similar thing. My parents tried that when they were on the Indian Reservation in Shiprock, New Mexico, Navajo Nation. I think they called it a hogan, and they went in there and they said it was so smoky. I think they they didn't last four days. It was more like four minutes or fourteen minutes or something, and come out <laughs> coughing and gagging. But um, that that's pretty fun, and it reminds me of the things we say about. Um, reprogramming your genes and doing a short sprint workout that only lasts 10 minutes and you only do it once a week, let's say, but it has this profound effect on um, your rate of fat metabolism, your rate of protein synthesis, building muscle, because it's 30 metabolic equivalent. It's such an extreme physical effort compared to, you know, 30 times the effort of, of sitting here at rest. And so it does have a prolonged effect on numerous metabolic and athletic functions. Yeah, these intense, novel, and unique experiences are very powerful signal signal generators, and they, they, they tell our bodies that something needs to change, basically. And then the body simply does as instructed and does what it can to make those changes. So it's an example of how, you know, plastic our bodies are, our brains are, everything about us is, is we can definitely um, make a lot of positive changes. And of course, if we're not aware of what we're doing, we inadvertently make a lot of negative changes. And that's how people end up sick and coming in to see doctors like me too often. Or often <laughs> they don't want to. Oh, boy. Um, so also from a previous show, Kate, fr- from your previous show, um, I pulled out this memorable, couple memorable sound bites that I've been talking over with a lot of people because it's a great um, sort of quick elevator pitch for uh, modifying your diet and considering you know, primal paleo ancestral health type approach and getting rid of what you say is the number one offender in the modern diet are the bad oils, the chemically... Uh, processed industrial vegetable seed oils that directly cause oxidative damage to your DNA. And then you said number two, um, the sugar, which sort of indirectly causes damage through the process of glycation binding to um, healthy proteins in the body. So maybe we can just emphasize those two important points and clarify things for the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the um, the one thing that we all, everyone, no matter what diet you're following agrees on is that processed food is bad. <clears throat> you know, I don't know anybody promoting processed food and, you know, Twinkies are, you know, the answer. But what, what, what I do, what my husband and I did when we wrote our book, Deep Nutrition, was to try and understand what is it about processed food that's bad for us? And we've, we discovered the answer has to do with the fact that the, the molecules in there are not natural and our body cannot figure out what to do with them. And a lot of times they actually promote inflammation. So vegetable oils are the number one. I, 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 vegetable oils and sugar are both terrible. I couldn't say that one is actually contributing more than the other, but I bring up vegetable oils as the number one issue because it is still overlooked. It's like the dirty secret of the food, uh, farming, organic, and restaurant industries, right? Because we have these supposedly healthy salads with loaded up with these organic vegetable oil containing dressings. And those vegetable oils in there are are loaded with trans fat and deformed molecules. And the deformed molecules are capable of making your body 
generate free radicals. And that's where you get the DNA damage because free radicals are high energy electrons. And just like radiation, they can slam into molecules, including DNA and break them. So there's, there's just no, um, no good (laughs) that's going to come from that. And so we really want to just make it as simple and clear to understand what is not an ancestral diet. And that, so the two biggest components of a non-ancestral diet are going to be the vegetable oils, which can constitute up to 30% of calories in the average restaurant. And of course, all the many foods that we have now that raise blood sugar. And so that's a whole different can of worms, the blood sugar. And aside from just the glycation, which is super important, there's the hormonal effects. So the average restaurant is 30% of their, their, their menu is coming from uh, canola oil and whatnot? 30% of the calories in the average like diner's selections because there's vegetable oil in the appetizers, in the main dishes, in the sauces, and the side dishes, as well as the desserts. So how does it, all that vegetable oil get in there? Well, the appetizers are often deep fried or grilled, or if you have, like I said, a salad, the salad dressing is going to be containing vegetable oil unless you're in one of the one out of you know, 30 restaurants that is uh, run by a, a chef who's really passionate about food and he knows the deal and he doesn't cook with that stuff. But I'm telling you, it's that rare. You know, I, the the Lakers stay in very high-end hotels and there's two of them on the tour, two out of the 30 that that the I've spoken with the chefs and they're like, no, we don't use that stuff and it's toxic and, you know, we're not going to give it to our customers. And they're like, they're like, they're... These people are not, these chefs are not getting enough credit for that choice because it's very difficult to eliminate vegetable oil from your kitchen. There's so many shortcuts that you are not able to take. So aside from the salad dressing and the deep fryer, it's in all the sauces and, and so many prepared foods, prepared doughs, prepared sauces, prepared, pre-prepared dips and dressings. Just the same as when we go grocery shopping and we look at the, you know, we turn the containers around, there's going to be vegetable oil in most of the products that have any kind of fat in there. The same thing in a restaurant because they, they're, they're sourcing from as many pre-made um, options as they possibly can in order to cut down on stuff they have to do live in the kitchen. So with your planning for the Lakers and for the listeners who um, haven't caught up with your doings, um, give me a short uh, summary of what you're doing with them. And also, um, do you talk to these other restaurants on the, on the team's behalf and beg them to switch their cooking habits? So what we're doing is we're trying to make sure that when we feed them, the the stuff that they get is free of those vegetable oils and also as low in the excessive carbohydrates and ridiculously sweet things as possible. So we, we don't, um, ha- we're not like carb free. We're not even necessarily low carb. We're just carb controlled. We're not like carb um, you know, addicts. <laughs> so, and, and a lot of the alternative calories come from, um, the, from the fats that are naturally part of, um, a lot of whole foods like animal products or eggs, uh, I'm sorry, animal, you know, meats and eggs. And, um, we don't say that they should use like egg white omelets instead of regular omelets. So simple things like that. Um, 
of course, we offer everything they want. But the, when I'm working with the uh, the hotels, that's where we have the the least control because their in room dining menu is um, something that you know it's very difficult for them to modify. And so what we do is we simply just. I get I speak with the chefs, I review the in-room dining menu myself and I identify those items that are going to be containing vegetable oil and just let them know that how to avoid, you know, that those are the items that if you want to avoid this stuff, that's how to do it. Yeah, I mean, you avoid these specific dishes, so I let them know which dishes to avoid. Excellent. Let's get into some of the um the questions from uh listeners and see what you think. So Sandra calls in and asks, is there anything wrong with grapeseed oil? I've noticed that it's not used in many primal recipes. So grapeseed oil is a, kind of a schizophrenic oil. Um, I'll, I'll give you an analogy, olive oil. So there's been a lot of articles that are going into the different kinds of olive oil, you know, that you actually really want the first cold pressed, unprocessed, unfiltered, unrefined, and that you can get olive oil that has been highly processed and it's not as good for you. There's fewer antioxidants, the fatty acid profile is different. So it's it's not so much the source, it's not so much grape seeds are, you know, a problem. It's what happens with the processing. And so there's two very distinct uses for grapeseed oil in the culinary industry. So one of them is as a boutique confection almost. It comes in these little itty bitty bottles and it's produced like literally a drop at a time <laughs> under very controlled conditions to reduce the oxidation. I went to uh, tour a plant here in Napa called Salute Sante and they make a super high quality grapeseed oil and it's extremely healthy, but it's very expensive in these little itty bitty bottles. So it's like a boutique um, finishing oil. You can use it for salad dressings. You shouldn't cook with it. Um, and then there's the other use, which is just the, the standard RBD, refined, bleach, deodorized, kitchen, you know, good for anything, flavorless, neutral, high smoke point oil that you can just dump on any dish. And it, since it has no flavor, it's not going to change the flavor profile. Since it has a high smoke point, you don't have to fuss over it on the stove. You can let it sit there and get overcooked and it's not going to smoke or create off flavors. So um, so the answer for grapeseed oils, is it good or bad? It's good if it comes in a little tiny bottle. It's bad if it comes in a huge tub. And you can apply that to olive oil. You can apply that probably to any other oil, but you also, it's always good to just read. If it, if it doesn't say first cold press unrefined, it's not going to be as good as the oil next to it in the bigger tub. I'm sorry, in the smaller <laughs> bottle that, that does say that. Uh, we've also mentioned this in the expert certification course that a lot of the foreign imports on olive oil, I mean, the, the Mediterranean countries are known for olive oil, but that could often mean uh, lower regulatory standards, longer time in the bottle. So it's been sitting in that gallon container at the 995 special for many, many months, as opposed to a small local provider here in California, West Coast, there's a ton of local options you can get in, in good stores and even um, at affordable prices like Trader Joe's, they have California olive oil. And it tastes different. It's got a much different health profile. Yeah, you should uh, always trust your taste buds. If it tastes like olive oil, then it's better than something that's labeled olive oil and doesn't have that intense flavor. So you can you can easily train yourself to distinguish 
so that when you go out to eat, you know what you're doing. You're a discriminating fine diner. And then you call the chef over and beg him to cook in butter instead of canola oil, right? <laughs> yeah, I bribe them <laughs> to what it takes. Yeah. The bad news is there's a lot of stuff is pre, pre-made. So it's going to limit your options if you really want to avoid the stuff. Right, right. Well, Kitty Ewan writes in and says, I just found out that I'm pregnant. Congratulations, Kitty. Does a primal diet offer enough nutrition for pregnant women and their developing children? Can you give some advice on what kind of things to eat to support the health of my unborn child? Well, in our book, Deep Nutrition, we talk about what exactly is a traditional diet, what exactly do your genes um, expect, and there's no time that these expectations are more important to meet than during pregnancy. So there's really no reason that your diet needs to be different during pregnancy, you know, because you should always eat the healthiest possible diet, right, in in an ideal world. But there, um, there... there's absolutely no reason that a primal diet is is going to be worse in pregnancy. In fact, since it's a more traditional, more and you know aligned with ancestral philosophy, with what your genes need, basically that's what all the you know primal, paleo, whatever, all even low carb. So there's this whole pool of diets that are sort of kind of very similar <laughs> um, that experts uh, like myself are are promoting. Um, they're all going to be so much better than the standard American diet because we're getting you away from those processed foods and we're including the most nutrient-intense kinds of foods that uh, you that you can find. And so that's always going to be a good thing, especially when you're pregnant. We have um, our podcast publisher and social media expert, Elizabeth Mostedi, is pregnant at the uh, Primal Offices. So she's big into this and doing a lot of research. And um, I guess there's the prevailing notion that you shouldn't eat sushi when you're pregnant. Well, doctors for a long time have always been afraid of germs and anything raw. And if it's not overcooked and cooked to death, it's not, um, you know, hygienic. So that comes from actually, it truly does come from the philosophy of um, hygiene, which is a dietetic concept that originated from the dietitians um, in terms of food hygiene. And so, yes, there's a huge concern about um, eating bad bugs, no matter what it comes from. And it can, it certainly can come from sushi, but it can come from, uh, you know, as all these, if you've been following the news, there's like a new food rule, food recall on some processed food almost like on a monthly basis so any every food can be contaminated with bad bacteria because bad bacteria can grow in food oh right the lettuce the big recall of the organic lettuce or the tomatoes was a recent one as well so peanut butter oh boy Um, peanut butter that's right so yeah, you want to be careful. You, you don't want to have the sushi sitting out for you know longer than necessary. You want to keep it cold. You want to know how it was prepared. You don't want to go to a restaurant that you haven't been to before and order it. You know you want to be careful, like you always do, and particularly when you're pregnant. What about from a convenience store? Is that okay to buy sushi, or should you go to a fine restaurant? 
Well, you know, if, <laughs> when you, you know, the benefit of the convenience stores is you can, you can kind of watch them putting it together. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, they usually have like a, at least during regular business hours, there's usually like a team of people with really nimble fingers rolling these things and slicing them up and putting in the little plastic uh things with a little label on it for you. So, um, you know, if they look like they're not picking their noses in between, <laughs> then uh, I don't see why it's materially different because the, the fish itself is, you know, the, 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 the life process of the fish is where some of the problems come from. And uh, the, the main thing is that if the fish has been frozen for at negative 17 degrees for two weeks, pretty much any of the parasites, which are one of the primary concerns, would have been killed. So actually fresh sushi is more of a problem than previously frozen fish. Interesting. Okay, so you can get some at the gas station if you're hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Here's one from uh, Steve Hogan in San Leandro, California. I've been primal for a while now and have experienced success. My wife would like to join me, but is concerned that the primal blueprint is geared more towards a male audience. Hmm. How do we convey that notion? Anyway, Steve (laughs) asks, are there any different guidelines or recommendations you have for women who want to take on this lifestyle? Really? No. Because men and women uh, both can benefit from eating ancestrally, eating the foods that their genes expect. And an ancestral diet is so much better than a standard American diet or a processed food diet that there's uh, nothing but good going to come from it, whether you're a male or a female, you know. And if you're in tune with your appetites, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, so there are differences in women's, we are supposedly a little more prone to being able to burn fat. Men are definitely a little more prone to being able to use protein to build muscle. Um, and create glycogen from that. But, uh, you know, that's something that's an individual, um, it becomes an individual issue. And the better you are at listening to your body, the better you will be able to um, answer your appetites with the appropriate food. Um, We've heard some talk lately on podcasts and live presentations seems like a a hot topic in the primal paleo community how um, women might respond better with uh, more carbohydrate intake in the diet than men do you have any view on that I I don't know that I would agree with that you know I think that um, there's definitely differences but the the those differences pertain more to what the the woman's um, ability to burn fat more efficiently, which would actually make us less likely to need carbohydrate. Um, however, I suppose you could come away with the conclusion that women might need more carbohydrate because, as I meant, just mentioned, men are more able to utilize protein to to meet the needs of the muscle and that includes the muscle glycogen. So if you have a woman who is not really well fat adapted and her muscles need glycogen, they're less able to get it from converting muscle protein into sugar than a man. But I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend that as the primary um like as your end goal. I would prefer to get people where they are women and men, where they're optimally fat adapted so that they don't need to break down their muscle to generate the glycogen that the muscle needs for exercise. Right. And if you're not good at that, you might get tired, cranky, 
moody because you can't get that readily supply of glucose and that might be one of the it seems like that's one of the complaints it's a difficulty in transitioning over to um you know a primal aligned eating style that's much lower in carb than uh than, than conventional diet and this is one of the complaints that you hear so that that's interesting i've never heard that that's a possible um possible cause yeah, so I found that there's a process that I can, you know, put people through, and that's what I do when I work one-on-one with them to try to figure out what's going on, to troubleshoot that is what is the cause, and and then to um, address it so that they can optimize their fat burning. So speaking of working with people one-on-one with the primal advantage, uh, how's everything going with that? Are you getting some good um, back and forth with your clients? Oh, yeah. It's really, really been a lot of fun to do because I, I get to spend 90 minutes with people on the first visit and, and really get into what's been going on with their eating habits, their lives. How does that correlate with how they feel? And in a lot of cases, we um, we come up with things. We, un- we start to understand things in a whole new light where somebody has assumed um, that, for example, you know, their... Um, their issues with their digestive system were from, like, for example, eating gluten. And we've come to understand that it's come from other foods that are promoting bacterial problems in the gut or inflammation in the gut. So that's just one example of the kinds of things that it takes time to drill down to get to the real underlying cause so that you don't just make the wrong assumption and cut foods out needlessly or become paranoid and fearful about eating out because you don't know, you don't really fully know what it is you need to avoid to avoid painful digestive symptoms. Um, and you're working on a guest post for Mark Staley Apple on, on um, that topic of uh, all about gluten and, and some of the misconceptions. Is that so? Uh, yeah. And the reason for that is because partly it's come up so often during these consults where that people haven't actually been been really done the work to clarify what's causing their symptoms. And so I, I give them some homework to try and figure that out. And, and more often than not, it's turned out that people didn't have an issue with gluten. It was something else. It's just that it's so popular these days, you know, to assume that it's the gluten. Right. A quick answer, a quick solution, just like popping <laughs> a pill for your woes. Just stop eating gluten and everything will be wonderful, especially with all the the gluten-free treats that are around in the store shelves now. <laughs> yeah. So with the Primal Advantage, again, we're doing, we're doing blood work, which you custom, uh, custom design blood tests. We're doing a dietary analysis through uh, journaling and inputting into a food diary, and you're also uh, submitting them through a, a detailed questionnaire about diet, exercise, and lifestyle habits, right? Yeah, so they really download a lot of information, and we have quite a dialogue about what's going on in their body. That's what makes it fun. Right, so it's all, it's sort of um, automated, and you, you, you wrote a custom algorithm to get this uh, metabolic snapshot uh, as generated from the, the data that uh, comes in from the client, right? Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really a great way to kind of get a quick picture of what's going on in your body and where the problems are. So by the time you're doing the phone call, you're sitting there with the snapshot in front of you, right, with the score in the six categories of health, that, um, and, and then you'll have those discussion points to come up with. Yes, and I have all the detailed questions, um, you know, the highlights of where the problems were, too, um, in front of me, and, and the labs, and the um, ideally a food diary as well. 
Right. So uh, check out the Primal Advantage on primalblueprint.com for a lot more details about how you can engage with Kate. And I understand you're making some progress on the front of being able to serve international um, customers and so forth. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to cautiously um, uh, open up, open it up to people in English speaking countries, preferably where um, they have Skype access because we won't be able to use a phone call or um, FaceTime because I have a Mac, and um, you know the time zone um, is sometimes a barrier, and the getting the labs in another country. Um, means that we won't be able to use the metabolic snapshot in exactly the same way, but because the labs don't always, they're not always available. Um, but, uh, we'll still go over those labs. So yeah. So now, um, actually it doesn't necessarily need to be just an English speaking country as long as you speak English. <laughs> Excellent. Dr. Kate Shanahan, thank you so much for spending the time for another podcast and getting to some listener questions. And if you have a question that you'd like to submit to Dr. Kate for the a future podcast, visit blog.primalblueprint.com and you'll see the handy SpeakPipe tool where you can record your question. You can also, of course, uh, email a question to us at the office info at primalblueprint.com. So until next time, thank you for keeping up the Primal Advantage, Kate, and for being back on the show. Oh, thank you for having me again. Safeguard your health with the most comprehensive all-in-one nutritional supplement on the planet. Primal Nutrition's Damage Control Master Formula. Forget mixing and matching with multiple bottles of individual agents. Now you can just take a single packet of the most potent and optimally balanced multivitamin, multimineral, antioxidant formula available on the market. You'll enjoy complete immune system, cardiovascular, memory, nerve, bone, liver, and anti-stress support, and much more. With 51 research-proven ingredients, Damage Control Master Formula helps you combat oxidative damage in every cell and every system in your body and shore up any dietary shortcomings with complete protection. Order Damage Control Master Formula today at PrimalBlueprint.com and check out the incredible free shipping offer for our convenient and custom-designed auto-ship program.